Hi, and welcome to episode 155 of No Crying in Baseball. My name is Patty, and I'm here with my friend Potty Mouth. Hi, Potty Mouth. Hey there. How are you doing today? I am okay. I'm actually kind of having a nice, relaxed weekend, even without any baseball in this country this weekend. How about you? Yeah, that is really bizarre. And actually, to add insult to injury, the Lions game, which I'm used to seeing, even though it's early morning on a Sunday, um, was played at two in the morning. It was their first like daytime game there. Oh, no. So I I wasn't going to stay up till two. They won without me, which is really it's reassuring that they can do that. But yeah, I missed it. So it was a baseball free Sunday, which I haven't had Mm -hmm. for quite a while now. Wow. On today's show, we welcome Anika Oreck, who is an artist and a writer, to tell us about her work and the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum fundraiser that's happening all through this week. Last week was the Crazy Wild Card Series, so we'll give you our our impressions of that. We're going to look ahead to the ALDS and the NLDS happening now. We're going to do a little cross-training with football, both NFL and college the uh, Most Valuable Player Award name change. We've got playoff boyfriends flipping bats, talking trash, and sitting out. And as always, international baseball. So last week was the Wild Card Series, which was kind of a weird name for a series where 16 teams played. It was kind of a wild series anyway. And all those games were on weekdays, which made me nuts. It was that like, Wednesday had eight games on it. And I did have a little tiny window open in the screen for my work computer, but that's not really the ideal way to watch baseball. No, I, I had even less. Like I had some glimpses there. The only games that I really watched as a game were the last two Padres games. So I, I liked the fact, I liked the idea that there's all this baseball going on, but yeah, work gets in the way of baseball, or baseball is planned poorly, or both. <laughs> All right, we've got this whole Saturday. Like we're recording on Sunday afternoon, in between the wild card series and the the um, the division series, and there's no MLB baseball. I all day yesterday. I have much of today, and nothing. That just seems like a bad plan. It's totally crazy, and even for the playoffs coming this week, A's fans are getting screwed because they are getting an early shift. I mean, they're playing Texas. It's so it's not like anybody in there in that series is in East coast time. And for A's fans, it's midday the whole week. It's like one something two days and then 1230 for the end of the series. Like you really folks, you couldn't do better than that. Yeah. Nope. They really, really can't. Hey, so I have a couple of things that were notable for me for this past week. One was what the hell happened to Shane Bieber? Oh my God. I was so looking <laughs> forward to seeing him shut yeah. down the freaking Yankees and he didn't. And that made me sad. Absolutely. It was really, the poor guy. I've the got to feel guy. bad for him because what a what a, an embarrassing situation. And for those of us who do not enjoy the Yankees doing well, it was downright painful. It was indeed. And then for the other end of Ohio, holy crap, the Reds-Atlanta game. I'm sorry you didn't get to see this one, but this one mm. went 13 innings and only one run was scored. Atlanta won that oh. game, won nothing. The Reds scored no runs at all in the wild card series not one but trevor bauer no matter what you think of him as a person oh my god he pitched such a freaking gem that's why it was even more heartbreaking that they couldn't get a win out of it because he was freaking amazing do you think he's a a cy Cy young probable like would you i think he is but i do believe that his personality might uh, cloud things a little bit, but he's definitely <laughs> in the running. I mean, when during the game and when people were talking about the game afterwards, they were calling him the presumptive Cy Young winner, but there are other people absolutely in the running. But watching these many, many overtime innings made me think, what happened to the runner on second? Apparently that doesn't apply in the playoffs. And I don't remember any announcement oh. about that. Like the three batter minimum was still there for the pitchers, but no runner on second. I was like, wait, did they forget what happened? But no, that's just not a thing for the playoffs. I, I don't remember seeing that anywhere. What about the DH situation? They, they that stays also, right? Yeah, that, that stays. Still gets DH. Yeah, okay. that stays. Um, that's you know, weird. Yeah, it's absolutely weird. I, I didn't see a thing about it. The other notable thing for me, the happy notable thing, was watching the Padres bullpen shut out Flaherty, who I think is fantastic. But I mean, they had they went through so many pitchers, and it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. It was amazing and historic. It was one pitcher in inning, which is just, it, it's mind-blowing, actually. And and 
so exciting. That was an exciting game to watch. And that's one that I actually got to. Um, it turns out that th- this was this the most pitchers used in a shutout game since 1901. Oh, how cool. Yeah. Very so, nice. Yeah, so- Padres for doing it with style. Seriously. Right. So. Right. And um, can I just say that a friend of the show, Holly, who was a San Diego uh, resident for a very long time, as was I for a short time, made sure that we knew that the cutouts that were behind home plate for the the wild card series at, at Petco Park, the ones to the left were the 1984 Padres World Series team and the ones to the right were the 1998 Padres World Series teams, neither of which which won the World Series, but that's okay. They were there and they were watching. And she made sure to point out that there were some dead guys among there. So there were dead guys in the stands, but there were historic guys in the stands. And that was pretty cool. Wow. And that's the last time that the Padres had won a postseason series was 98, I believe. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, that's got to be bringing them some good luck. I that's right. Hope. That's right. Yeah. My my final favorite thing from the the week is um, the <laughs> the new name for the Marlins, the nickname the Bottom Feeders. I had not seen that. That they, is entertaining. They have the t shirt, and I kind of wow. want the t shirt. I've never been a Marlins fan. I'm kind of bandwagoning just a little bit, mm-hmm. not not all the way, but just a little bit because I do like the whole Cinderella story thing. But we'll talk more about that in just a minute. Yeah, I totally have got to go for the Cinderella story. I mean, the Padres, I was actively happy that they got, that they made it. And, you know, they were, I was hoping for them. And then the other races, I I didn't have as strong feelings for. And it's, I have nothing against the Cubs, you know, so I, I wasn't happy or sad. I don't know. I didn't have that kind of reaction to that race, except for the Cinderella story part, except for that little bit of excitement. Well, hey, check out the Marlins. Watch this happen. Yeah. Yeah. So this week, this week is the division series and the American League is playing in California and the National League is playing in Texas. And this this week's series are best of five. Right. So you've got the A's versus the Astros and Dodger Stadium, which I just I love everything about this because you may remember there's all kinds of bad blood between the A's and the Astros from this past season. And then Dodger Stadium, the site of the oh wow the the, the, the uh, 2017 World Series that the Dodgers are still bitter about because the Astros were you know playing some games there. Cheating, so they, they were they were cheating. They were cheating. They were flat out cheating. So there's all kinds of fun and games around this matchup. The Rays and the Yankees are playing at Petco Park and staying at the same resort. That's hysterical. That right? is it's so funny. I, re- I did read that article. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So that's kind of a hoot. But I like that the Rays are like, well, we don't like them. And the Yankees are saying, eh, mutual. I mean, Chapman did throw at the heads of Rays, for instance. Um, in, in that case, I'm definitely rooting for the not Yankees. I mean, I, I don't right, have yes. strong feelings about the Rays at all, but I have very strong feelings against the Yankees and especially against Chapman. And if he's going to throw at their heads, I'm going to root for them. Yeah, I, I think rooting against Yankees and Yankees with Chapman, it's this it's such a no doubter. And the Rays do have likable parts. I like Kevin Cash. He did catch for the Red Sox for a short period of time. And um, and Kevin Kiermaier has been very vocal about his feelings about the Yankees. So I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah, I'm a little worried, though, because the Yankees definitely have momentum right now. They're yeah. one of the couple teams that are on a hell of a roll. They peaked at that time yeah. uh, to be on a roll. So I'm a little scared of that. I didn't actually mention when we said the previous series, I am all in for the A's over the Astros. But I think um, our listeners would have assumed that about me. Yeah, did I? Right? Yeah. <laughs> so the San Diego, Los Angeles, uh, the, the Dodgers uh, matchup, there's definitely like locational dislike. Right. I don't know that there's like, you know, longstanding, we hate them because a thing happened. I think it's just because we're all just too close. Hmm. Right. And I think, again, the Padres have magic. Yeah, they right? do. Oh, they my have, God, they do. They have, they have luck. They have magic. They have. So they're, that means they're a little streaky. Right. So, yeah. so like, you know, and the Dodgers are solid as a rock. I believe in magic. I want magic. I fear the Dodgers because I always fear the Dodgers, but then the Dodgers right. also choke in the postseason. So I'm hoping for that, but I want the Padres magic to prevail here. I'm hoping. Yeah. It's just that the Dodgers have come off of two big chokes, you know, the two consecutive big time chokes 
where they're feeling like they they have to do this, I think, especially the longtime guys. But I, you know, my heart is so much with the Padres and they're so much fun to watch. I mean, those games are just fantastic. So go Padres. Go Padres. And then the last matchup is the um, Atlanta uh, versus the bottom feeders. And I don't know, (laughs) I don't know if they have any history at all. I don't know if they care like, oh, it's those guys. We're going to get those guys or not. Again, this is the other matchup where I think one team has definite momentum. Clearly the Marlins are on a freaking roll right now. Um, It's interesting that they have that geographical connection too, though. I mean, you know, Marlins, Atlanta, that's not too far. It's probably for both of them. It's the closest that they could get. Yeah. So in in all these cases, like they're, they're sort of playing like, you know, interdivisional games pretty much. So I, mm-hmm. it, that's just sort of a fun fact that you don't usually see in the playoffs. Right. So, you know, go bottom feeders. I'm in for that. <laughs> um, I, you know, we've talked about this before. I like a lot of the Atlanta players, right? but I do know how to hold a grudge and I've had a grudge against the Atlanta team for a long time. So I'm going to say, okay, let's go for that. <laughs> let's, let's hold that grudge and, and root for the Cinderella story again. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then, and what happens always though, while I'm watching these games is like all is good until the baseball boyfriend comes up, you know? So like when I was watching the games against the Cardinals, I'm like, you know, crush them, crush them. Oh, look, Yadier Molina. Isn't that cool? Like, you know, know, I definitely have those moments of, oh, it'll be okay. Yeah. So I've had to adjust my World Series prediction because my wish, of course, included the Cleveland team, which got, you know, crushed by the Dan Yankees. I I am sad about that. So I still feel like the probable World Series, like if I had to put money down, uh, that would be for a Dodgers-Rays series if it's only my heart. Um, My heart has adjusted and now is hoping for a Padres-A's. Hmm. How about you? So... I had said, I think I had said Padres Rays, and my heart was right. My heart was White Sox. Yeah, I mean, my heart would have to go A's also. I mean, what? I'm not going to choose Yankees or Rays or Astros. Like, <laughs> there's a big process of elimination right there. Yep, I'm with the A's. I love you, <laughs> Athletics of Oakland. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah, All right. boy. No other options. No. And, and I, they have great colors too. You know, sure. That's they're unique. Sure. And, and you're wearing, you're wearing, the, you can't see listeners, but Patty has a lovely A's shirt on right now. Yeah, I've got it as an old one. It's the Nerd Power shirt. So it's an Eric Sogard shirt. doesn't play for them anymore, but it's the only A's shirt I've got. So it's the A's shirt that I'm wearing. Hey, let's go play football for a second. I am so depressed because why. I was like flipping through headlines yesterday and I saw on an ESPN headline, New England Patriots. And I was like, hey, check it out. Something good must be happening. New England Patriots get the headline. And then I kept reading and it said Cam Newton has COVID. And I was like, fuck, you know, it, it, it's just upsetting. It's I'm definitely more upset about this COVID case than any other current COVID case in the news. Ahem. Uh, <laughs> I can't so, imagine what you're talking about. What it means, I mean, he's the first and only Patriot who has come down positive, which sucks. I don't know the story behind it. I know that the rest of the team tested negative. I know that it means he's out for the game against Kansas City tomorrow. Um, the weird thing is, so they they tested the Kansas City players too, and the only positive on Kansas City was literally the guy who was their squad practice quarterback. So the guy who is playing Cam Newton's role in their practice games against the Patriots. So I'm wondering, like, there seems to be some weird magic going on here. That's like a voodoo thing, right? Like it's it's him and it's the pretend him who both got COVID. So somewhere there's a doll with a pen in it yep. that counted for both of them. Absolutely. Wow. That's, that's got to be the medical explanation. And yeah. Wow. There. In um in more football COVID news, 24 college football games that are considered major, that major was not defined in the article that I read, but 24 major college football games have already been postponed because wow. of COVID, because college campuses, mm-hmm. my friend. So yeah, that's not looking good there. The MVP award has been given for years and years and years. It's voted on by the Baseball Writers of America, and they just voted unanimously to change the name. Now, interestingly, I didn't know it had a name other than MVP. I had no idea. No. Apparently, it's the um, Kennesaw Mountain Landis 
Most what? Valuable Player Award. Uh, Mr. Landis was the very first commissioner of baseball. He was the commissioner of baseball from 1920 to 1944. Wow. That is a long time tenure. And in all of that time, he, um, according to the Baseball Writers of America in their statement, he, quote, notably failed to integrate the game during his tenure. Failed to integrate is a very kind way of saying that. Right. Um, Mike Schmidt, uh, Hall of Famer, said, if you are looking to expose individuals in baseball's history who promoted racism by continuing to close baseball's doors to men of color, Kennesaw Landis would be a candidate. Uh Right. So there's that. Um, What I do like is that in thinking about a new name for the award, Frank Robinson, who I dearly love and respect, his name has come up. And one of the reasons he is the only player to win the MVP award in both the American and the National Leagues. That's fantastic. So that would make a lot of sense right there. Um, I think in the meantime, they should just call the award the Washington football team. Most Valuable Player Award, because that seems to be our place <laughs> right. holder for all things that have no names. <laughs> totally, totally. That in, in hanging kind of name. We have baseball boyfriends on this podcast. These are the guys that Patty and I have talked a lot about in the off season. It's almost time for us to pick some new ones. We each do one per team, and we do a little profile, talk about why they're so cool, why we pick them. And I got ahead on a couple boyfriends, meaning I picked them before their prime, including Fernando Tatis Jr. So the deal is we can't keep them from year to year except for one guy. That's in the fine print. I did not keep Tatis Jr., unfortunately. And watching him in these playoff games is so cool. And this is where like that magic comes in. Just you can't help but like smile from ear to ear watching him. He's having so much fun, including flipping bats. That's just part of the that's it's part of how it goes showing the emotion. It's fun to watch him flip a bat. And he had two home runs in that second game. And his bat flip on the second, where it I think it was still not quite tied up. That was the second home run where they were down three, right? Oh, no, they were down four, but it was a three-run home run. That was it. So it brought them into within uh, a run. And they did. They caught up. So it was a big deal. And he flipped the bat really high and still people are talking about it in a critical way. And I just don't, I just don't get it. I I totally want him to keep flipping his bat. One interesting article though from um, MLB said that even though this was pretty majestic and I think they counted like five rotations or something like that, (laughs) it was not his hugest one. And they played a clip of one that he did in the Dominican Republic when he was playing for the Tres Orientales and got a walk-off home run. And it was a two-fisted throw, like both hands flipping it up. The camera angle didn't get where the bat actually went, which kept bugging me. I kept trying to find that. But just like his his liftoff, like the the push to begin with was impressive enough. So I want to see Tatis continuing to do this. Uh, Notably, um, he didn't hit a home run in game game three, but he, he had some amazing defense, like amazing defense. The air Tatis defense. Oh, my God. It's And and the Matrix stuff, you know, the way that he can evade when he needs to evade. Um, but the first run that was put on the board that was all that San Diego needed was uh, him being hit in by my this year's baseball boyfriend, Eric Hosmer. So I am pretty happy about that. Oh, the other um, quick thing I wanted to mention about that second game was both Tatis Jr. and Will Myers had two home runs each that game. And that's the first time in a postseason game that a pair of players on the same team have had multiple home runs since Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. I have heard of those guys. Isn't that like just to be in the same sentence as them? And the idea of how long that has been. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, On my less beloved former baseball boyfriends is Carlos Correa, CC. And there are two CCs in this story. So that's a lot of Cs. That's CC squared. CC Carlos Correa, after the Astros beat the Twins in the wild card. Boo. Basically, you know, the Astros have something to prove, right? They're trying to prove that even though maybe they cheated, they still had the talent and they could, I don't know, could have done it even if we didn't cheat. Then why the fuck did you cheat? But besides that. <laughs> you don't even need me in the conversation. I love that. You're doing my part too. That's great. 
Patty would say this now. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. <laughs> I think I think everybody at the same time is saying that, you know, Absolutely. like the, why the fuck do you cheat? Everybody knows that. So, they, <laughs> But they're still trying to prove something. So he came out and said, I know a lot of people are mad. No shit, Sherlock. I know a lot of people don't want to see us here. No shit, Sherlock number two. But what are they going to say now? Well, CC Sabathia, the other CC in this equation, who I gave way too much shit to, and I have publicly apologized on this show before, and I'm going to do it again, because not only is CC actually a good guy beneath those pinstripes and having done a lot of work for the community, but he speaks very eloquently. I'm going to quote him here. He said, like, get the fuck out of here. It's a fucking joke. And then you finish under 500 this year like shut the fuck up the kid's a clown man i'm sorry you all beat a team that's lost 18 struck in straight fucking playoff games too many fucks in a row like i got for you tied. but yeah really? i know so so there so there you go for cc being like my new i don't uh patron saint yeah. Oh, <laughs> is my patron saint. If you make that the title of this show, Patty, oh my God. Oh, no. I just did. Thank no, you. No, no. <laughs> on, on, the, on the bright side, though, the other thing that you got to love about Cece is he did exactly what we do and said, but Dusty Baker, we love Dusty, right? So like the Astros doing well, if we can put that all on Dusty, and say that's what they needed. They needed a Dusty there. And he called Dusty a big uncle and said, that's my guy. And then in the same breath said, but man, fuck them dudes, man. And I can say that too. Like, yay, Dusty, but fuck them dudes, man. That's right. I, that's 100% a great way to look at yeah. it. If they if they do well, it's because they've got Dusty behind him. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're doing well now. And then I still am going to hold the grudge for them being cheaters. Yep. There you have it. So I kind of looked at my list of boyfriends for this year and say, who, what, what are my boyfriend? Who are my boyfriends that are on the teams that are still in the playoffs? And it's not looking good for me at all. So my uh, my Padres boyfriend at the beginning of the year was Josh Naylor, who you may or may not realize is no longer on the Padres. He got traded to Cleveland as part of the Clevenger deal. Oh, so, yeah. Right. So I'm yeah, yeah. So he had a great couple of games. In the wild card week, of course, Cleveland got shut out by the freaking Yankees, but Josh Naylor set a record. He was the first player in the history of Major League Baseball to have five hits in his first five plate appearances in the playoffs. Wow. That's yeah. huge. Yeah. So he had a beautiful game, uh, two games, and then the party was over. So not only do I not have a Padres boyfriend, but the guy who wasn't Padres boyfriend who I thought was going to make the playoffs anyway um, is, you know, got, got swept last week, which is too bad. So um, Matt Chapman, my ace boyfriend is out for, you know, health reasons for surgery and, and whatnot. Oh, right. For the freaking Yankees, Miguel Andujar was sent back down again. This is like time number three in the short season. So he didn't oh, make man. the playoff roster. That's amazing. That's actually scary. Like for, that means their roster is pretty damn good if they get to send down and do and do right. So with somebody with his his skill gets shut down, we don't need that level of skill because we now uh. have this level of skill. Um, Echeverria on the Atlanta team got sent down, did not make the playoff roster. Um, Jack Peterson on the Dodgers has been sitting. He's on the roster, but um, AJ Pollock has been so hot they haven't needed Jack. So Jack has been on the bench. Right. So he might show up at, at like a key moment. He might show up. But then again, that's the Dodgers. And so, you know, I why is the Dodgers the one where I have a chance to see a boyfriend do well? Right. I don't want that mm. um, on the um, on the Houston asterisks. Um, Abraham Toro was my guy because, you know, he was one of the few guys that wasn't there when they were all cheating, played a bit when people were hurt. Everyone's healthy now. So he's not playing again. He's still on the roster. But he's not likely going to play and, you know, because their their A-team is available. Now, Brandon Lau uh, for Tampa Bay uh, was actually voted most valuable player by Tampa Bay Press, you know, on their, you know, that they, they do team awards, right? And so he's the guy that they think is the most valuable. He's been not fantastic. He's been fine, but not outstanding recently. So he might show up. I hope he does show up because, you know, I need Tampa Bay to do some good stuff this week for sure. Yes, we all do. That's yep. right. So he's, I got hope on him, but the star, the, my boyfriend star um, is Miguel Rojas on the uh, Miami Marlins. And he's been lighting it up. He's been fantastic. He had COVID. 
he spent he was one of the guys who spent like three weeks oh, locked, wow. in, locked in a hotel at the beginning of the season, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there, I'm going to link to this short interview he did with um, MLB TV where he is wearing a bottom feeder t-shirt, may I just say. <laughs> That's so cool. But he was so charming and he was talking about how serious, you know, having COVID was, what it was like to not be able to work out, um, how hard the team worked to make sure they all stayed in touch, even from the very beginning when they had their, their initial spring wow. training and then the season got canceled, but they didn't know what was going to happen. They all stayed in touch. And then when they started and so many of them were sidelined and all these new guys were coming up, they all stayed in touch. And so this is how do they stay engaged, right? When 18 of them end up not being able right. to play at least for a while. So it was really interesting to watch. And he seems like a heck of a guy. And so I'm very happy I picked him as my boyfriend. And He's somebody that I'm going to get to watch this week for sure. So yay for for Miguel Ross. Oh, and you know, you know, I'm not a Jeter fan, right? And he was asked, <laughs> "No, really? Okay, so so Rojas plays shortstop. I'm like, okay, so how good or weird is it to have the CEO basically of your team right. be like this Hall of Fame shortstop when you play a shortstop on the team that he, you know, he owns? And he's like, actually, it's great because I have access to him. So when I need help. Or I'm trying to figure out how do I deal with this? Like I'm doing this little thing wrong or I can't get motivated about this or I'm having this problem. I can text him and he gets back to me and we talk about stuff. Wow. And so, you know, however I feel about Jeter the player, that's some pretty nice Jeter the manager, you know, Jeter the management guy, right? I think it's even more of a of a good character trait for Rojas though. That the, like, what a good answer, you know? I mean, that's, yeah, that's fantastic for taking, you know, taking advantage in a good way of the situation, getting the most out of your resources, being a responsible, resourceful person, professional. Yeah, so I'm like happier all the time about that boyfriend pick. I, that's awesome. And actually happier all the time about wanting the Marlins to do well. I mean, sorry, Atlanta friends. And I, and I love my Atlanta boyfriend, Dansby Swanson. But seeing the Marlins after what they've been through this year and being the Marlins move on would be pretty majestic. Unfortunately, my Marlins boyfriend is not going to be playing. Isan Diaz, uh, you, you might remember that I talked about him opting out from COVID in the beginning of the year, but he opted back in. But he's ironically not playing this at this point because he had a left groin strain in the middle of September that I somehow missed out. And I wonder, you know, you got to wonder if that had to do with him opting out not being in shape, you know? The the strains in the pools seem to be the injuries that are happening more and more when the guys have been not not able to stay in mm-hmm. top form. Yep. Yeah. So looking at how uh, Miami bounced back after that, because Isan Diaz is young, second base, um, they replaced him with Sean Rod- Rodriguez, who was my <laughs> original Pirates boyfriend, <laughs> who I chose a couple years ago because of his boxing ability with a Gatorade cooler. It was what it was probably historically my worst baseball boyfriend choice, and yet your funniest. <laughs> and, yes. Absolutely. It was totally because of character. He sucked that year. And that was, I think he got bounced from the Pirates that year. He's been like barely coming around and the Marlins scooped him up, but he didn't make it. He got DFA'd on September 20th. So I don't know what's up with Sean Rodriguez right now. Maybe he's fighting some water coolers, but they picked up John Birdie or brought up John Birdie who is a super utility player and apparently has been just lighting it up. So it's, it's a happy ending. Yeah. He, he actually had been up before. I think they're just playing him more because he stole home twice this season. Nice. We love that. I don't know. Got to keep my eye on him for next year. The only other team that I have a missing boyfriend for is the Astros because I picked so low that he didn't even see the light of day this at all this year (laughs) on the actual Astros. And that's Jeremy Pena. So I think next year, you know, when we make our Astros picks, hopefully we'll have a little bit, a little bit more to pick from. I don't know. I guess it all depends on what happens next. Time will tell. We are so pleased to welcome Anika Orak to our show today. Anika is, among other things, an illustrator, a cartoonist, and an author of The Incredible Women of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. And she's one of over 100 artists who are currently participating in a fundraiser for the Negro League Baseball Museum, which is happening this week. Welcome to the show, Anika. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan of this podcast, by the way. 
That is so much fun to hear. Thank you so much. (laughs) Then you may already know that whenever we have a guest on the show, the very first question we ask is this one. What's your connection to baseball? Oh, well, um, it is a lifelong connection. I fell in love with baseball before. I think I really knew uh, what was happening during the game, just having it on the radio at my grandparents' house. The game was always on either in their house or in the car or uh, outside. Um, And that's how I grew up, just loving the sound of it. And then, of course, going to my first game at Candlestick, I almost froze to death, but I survived. And then then I moved to San Francisco by myself. you know, shortly after I graduated high school. And that was when the new ballpark went up. So then I really got into it. I started going to ball games at um, the new, well, it's not new anymore. It's 20 years old this year, which is, oh my God. Anyway. (laughs) I went to it when it was new. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it still feels new to me. I still, I still call it the new ballpark. And I mean, I guess that's like, you know, just thinking anything like I, I think that about movies all the time. That's a relatively new movie. Oh my God, it's 25 years old. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah, we even do that about Camden Yards because that that was when I first moved here. Was when Camden Yards went up, so which which as you know is a, is a really long time ago. But to me, it's like oh, we moved here and there's a new ballpark in Baltimore. How about that? Even though it was uh-huh. 90 something. Yeah. Yeah. Sure enough. So does that mean the Giants are your team? They are. I am a Giants fan. I grew up a Giants fan. I I do like the A's as well. I'm not one of those Oakland hating Giants fans. I love I love the A's too. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. We have we definitely have a soft spot for them right now because we would really like to see them take this series. The the A's that is. Me too. Yeah, that's good. Okay, we can all, we're going to unify on a lot of stuff too. And I'd like you to describe your art a little bit to us. I was looking at stuff and as far as your um, your giant stuff, Patty, you know that that she has a really cute Buster Posey needs a hug. I did kind see of, that. Yeah. That was really yep. sweet. So could you describe overall, <laughs> how would you describe your art to a podcast who can't actually see it? <laughs> Wow. This is, it's funny. This is a question I've since the book that I've been asked and I have had to think of an answer and through all the times I've been asked and all the times I've had to come up with an answer. I don't even know if I've really actually come up with one yet. (laughs) Um, But I I guess uh, how it's been described to me. So I'll just kind of riff off of what other people have said is that it, it's kind of got like a, a vintage, uh, I guess, kind of hearkening back to like mid-century editorial illustration style which makes sense because that was a lot of what influenced me growing up as a kid. I always loved illustration and animation that was a lot older than I was. But uh, yeah, I, I guess, I mean, I've, I always loved New Yorker cartoons. I loved Looney Tunes and, and um, UPA animation from the 50s and, you know, 40s through the 60s. So I guess that's kind of some of what I pull from. Um, it's kind of just a mishmash of all those things. And then of course you throw in baseball and artists like Willard Mullins and you know, that kind of finds its way in there too. So I don't know if that's an actual answer. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Vintage is a much better word. I was thinking old timey when I saw sort of like the cartoon look of a lot of the work, I felt like old timey cartoons. And it was like, yep, yeah, that that's, that's it. But vintage is so much classier. I like that. <laughs> How did you start with the baseball a theme in your in your work it was it was it for you know a specific gig that you had or was it like I love baseball I want to spend time making baseball art uh kind of more the second one um I mean I, it's weird it was just very accidental I guess it I was working um in animation I was living in Los Angeles at the time and really not loving it. I kind of went down there to really go all in and pursue it. And um, well, obviously I'm a Giants fan, so I wouldn't love it. But <laughs> as far as working in animation, um, I, I was struggling with the idea that I was having to work on other people's ideas. And then you're working in other styles as well. But I just felt like I was so overwhelmed with my own ideas and wanting to do tell these stories. And baseball is like I said, a bottomless well of wonderful stories, true, true, and potentially fictional, you know, um, Casey at the bat, things like that. So I kind of started working on my own story, I was doing character design, character development. So I I started working on my own thing on the side, just to kind of keep my creativity alive and keep my sanity. Um, 
And a friend of mine suggested, well, he said, well, why don't you do a baseball story? Because you, he's like, I don't know anyone that loves baseball more than you. And why that hadn't occurred to me before, I don't know. But yeah. it was like, oh, that is a really good idea. Okay. So the fun part of that was that, you know, with any character design, you're doing research. And um, so I was watching a lot of baseball, listening to baseball and watching a lot of um, a lot of cheers because one of my characters was heavily based on coach, which is one of my favorite characters of all time. And um, and I just kind of started posting that stuff. And really what happened is it just took on a life of its own. I had no idea that uh, baseball fans, baseball people were such great supporters of art or liked baseball art. I, I, I just wasn't really into the community. I was a fan, but I didn't realize there was such a great community out there for baseball and for art and for baseball art. So that was like a really cool niche to sort of fall into. I see it as being sort of symbiotic at this point. I think that there hasn't been as much baseball art as there is now. So I think it's sort of feeding into each other, you know, the baseball art being out there more so that we can appreciate it more. And that's going to increase the demand. And especially for stuff like what you're doing, I would think it would just sort of, you know, give you a lot bigger of a market or people to reach out to. Yeah. You know, you that's an interesting point because, you know, there there have been artists who have done baseball pieces like Norman Rockwell, um, mm-hmm. you know, famous artists who did a baseball piece. And then, and then there were baseball uh, cartoonists who did like a daily, you know, cartoon for what was happening in baseball. Um, but that was really it. And you're right. It's like all of a sudden, especially doing this show and seeing, I mean, it was so easy for this show to fill up a hundred person roster, which is crazy to wow. me. Um, but I love that because I think a lot of people think of baseball as, um, a sport of the past where it's losing its momentum or it's losing its fanship. But art is such a great way to bring the game to people in a contemporary way and also highlighting the nostalgia of it and all the parts of baseball that we really love, especially now when, sorry, but in my opinion, <laughs> baseball needs a little help <laughs> in general. So, much. so right. you know, We're with you um, there. it's kind of interesting timing and it's been really cool to see more artists um, to, to familiarize myself with other artists with this show. So tell us, please, more about the show. What, so it's the Negro League Baseball Museum, and it's a fundraiser and 100 artists. Tell us more. Yeah, well, I was I was approached by a gentleman by the name of Tad Richards, who owns Curveball Keepsakes. And he just had this idea, and he has a strong marketing background, and he has run other um, char- you know fundraising campaigns on a larger scale. And he just decided he, he and um, a business partner of his, Travis, wanted to try to do this. And initially, I think it was just going to be a handful of artists. But then he just thought, you know, well, why not make it totally inclusive in the spirit of everything, obviously, but also it's the centennial and why not aim for 100 artists. And I think at first, everyone thought, well, that's kind of ambitious, but it really didn't take that long to get up to like 70. um, And then going upward from there. And they really did a great job trying to uh, you know, reach out to a variety of artists and be inclusive on all fronts. I think that was a bit of a difficult task and a challenge. Um, I'm one of, I think, six women involved in the show, but that that part is not really surprising to me. <laughs> yeah, you know, I thought it was three, so it's kind of good for, like, I'm thinking, wow, six, that's a lot more than I thought, so... Well, and I might be wrong. It might, but I know that a few of them are like small business owners or, you know, like I believe tailgate mercantile is what, you know, so there are, I think maybe like three artists, but then three other women who are business owners and creators, but yeah, it's just, it's incredible how they've pulled it together. It's very well organized and they're doing a great job with, with marketing and stuff, but it's been a really interesting ride too. It's really developed into a community um, more than just like a, a show and it's been a it's been a real community effort I've it's really been nice to see you know people are reposting each other's stuff and retweeting it it's not kind of like every man or woman for themselves you know I mean that's great but the cause is what unifies it so every artist this week um, starting today through October 10th um, has committed to pledging a percentage of their sales of their art to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and I think some of it is also going to the Josh Gibson Foundation um, and, you know, peripheral programs, personally, mine, I can't speak for other artists, but my percentages are broken up with the majority going to the Negro League Baseball Museum. Um, some pieces have a percentage going to the Josh Gibson Foundation, and then some have a percentage going to the Black Lives Matter wow. the parent organization. Um, but I also know a lot of 
uh, we artists have created exclusive pieces for the show or special pieces inspired by the Negro Leagues. So that <laughs> I did the same. I, I don't know where I found the time, but like I was saying earlier, I just decided to take up screen printing, which I've <laughs> never done before, but it's been really awesome. And uh, there's just been some beautiful, beautiful art inspired by the Negro Leagues players that have that I've seen coming out. So uh, it's exciting. It's exciting enough to have a fundraiser, but then to see all this new art coming out of it inspired by the Negro Leagues is really exciting. Yeah, you, the pieces that you have in there are really great. And I love that some of them are wearable. I didn't realize that you were like that, you know, into what made them be wearable by doing the, the screening yourself. But could you could you describe a little bit about what of your work is in the show? Sure. Well, full transparency, the wearable things are not anything that I'm screening. Okay. <laughs> those are those are a, like a third party screen printing source. But that's the only thing that's third party. Um I have, yeah, I just tried to focus on the women of the Negro Leagues because, you know, there there are some untold stories there, but it's also really exciting to me, the stories of of Tony Stone and Connie Morgan oh, yeah. and Mamie Johnson. Um, but then also, you know, just through this show, I learned, you know, I knew of Effa Manley, but I also learned about all these other women who had been owners or there was a manager. Um, so I, I've done a screen print. I'm actually doing that tonight. I'm a little... <laughs> A little late in this one, but working on screen prints that are, I've hand lettered baseball pennants that have the, the a woman's name on each pennant that is a woman that was an owner or a player in the Negro Leagues. And then I made actual pennants, felt wool felt pennants with, that are hand lettered for Tony Stone. And there's like an illustration of Tony and then it just says Tony. Um, but I, I've only made 20 of those. And then I've made the um, Tony Stone and Effa Manley illustration, which is going on um, the third party shirts, and then I've got stickers and prints and things like that. So, uh, and then I have other older pieces that I did a while back of Jackie Robinson and Willie Mays and some other of my favorite Negro Leagues players as well. I just want to say there's this one print that you have of of Peanut Johnson in the middle between two guys. It's just gorgeous. It's just gorgeous because she's small. I'm I'm really into the small and powerful because I am a small and powerful <laughs> person. So I love her just sitting between them, looking small and powerful, and she's on that team. It's it's just a great image. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I I'm with you. I just I'm like such a lover of underdogs and small. Okay, this sounds this is a total departure, but there's a there's a an account on Instagram called the Dodo. I'm sure most people are familiar with it. It's like all animal stories. And they oh, have yes. a whole series that's called Small But Mighty. And those are my favorite. Because <laughs> it's just okay. like teeny tiny animals that are all fierce and strong and survivors, and I just love it. So that's not the same, but <laughs> Great. Great. we're gonna have them do an episode on potty mouth. Absolutely. Yeah. A little 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 dodo clip. <laughs> right after the show, I'm going to be checking out that on Instagram. <laughs> so uh, so both Potty Mouth and I are going to do some shopping because your work is fantastic. And also, we I did some spinning through the whole gallery. And there's so many people I want to go back to and mm -hmm. look at in more detail and maybe get some of my holiday shopping done. And maybe hoping that I have more wall space than I think I have <laughs> in order to wow. hang some things on the walls. So how can our listeners find this show and find you so they too can participate? Yeah, well, thank you. And that's a good idea. I keep forgetting that the holidays are on the corner, which again, is like, oh my God, <laughs> but that's a great idea. Um, yes. So there is, you can find all the artists involved and there's a rotating gallery at nlbmart.com, Negro League Baseball Museum Art, if you just think of it that way. And then also there, we do also have social media accounts at nlm. <laughs> no, BS. <laughs> I can do it around too. I do that with our show every week when I go NC. Yeah. What is it? I, I can totally relate. <laughs> if you just, yeah, if you just anachronize Negro League Baseball Museum art, then it works out. Um, and there's a Twitter handle and an Instagram account, which are also kind of rotating galleries in themselves. Um, and there you can find all the, the artists involved. And there's just, I mean, uh, it, it's, I mean, I'm like, I'm so excited to really sit down and go through all of it. And then each artist is selling on their own website or their, so nothing is actually for sale on the site. It's just kind of a resource for the show. So uh, yeah, but it will link you directly to every artist's website. My website is where I have my shop set up specifically for the show. Uh, and my website is myname.com. So anikaorok.com. And it'll, you'll see right away, there's a an NLBM art link. <laughs> well done. <laughs> you got it. You got it. 
<laughs> for some highlighted items and the limited, you know, there, I've just done a limited run of these screen prints. So I think there's like 20, 22, I think of the, the pennants of the women. And then um, there are 20 actual felt Tony Stone pennants. Fantastic. So we should say goodbye right now so we can get online and buy those before they are all sold out is what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, you're wonderful. (laughs) I think this is really fun. Uh, We definitely want to have you back when we have more time to check. So we want to talk to you about your book and kind of a wider range of issues. But we really appreciate you coming on in short notice to help us promote this this fundraiser for the museum. Oh, I can't thank you enough. It's absolutely my pleasure. And I can't wait to, to chat with you some more. I really appreciate it. We'd like to say thank you again to Anika for joining us. That was a blast. And please check out that art on the Negro League site. It's it's just amazing. And you're going to have a hard time choosing. But, you know, we have our preferences right here. We're going to continue with our international baseball because we do that all the time. But there's not a lot left coming from the CPBL in Taiwan. There are only eight playing days left of the season. So it's getting real. It's still super close. I'm going to be glued to breakfast baseball every morning. You can definitely, you can definitely count on that. The Lions are tied as at the time of recording with the Guardians Eek. for first place. No. Yes. Yes. So this, you know, of course, this is very important to us because we still have a bet going with Clive Sue of um, we get uh, me getting a Josh Renicky who no, no longer pitches for the Lions baseball. And Patty would be getting a dimple cannon baseball from the, the monkeys. So we're hoping that the Lions can somehow pull this off. The brothers who won the first half are two and a half behind. And the monkeys are three and a half behind with eight games left. That's not enough games. Yeah, it it can work. Like it it could happen, but the monkeys have just been struggling. And I don't even totally understand why. Of the eight days, though, each team has seven games because there are a couple of days where two teams play and the other two don't. So I don't I don't know. That's a lot of math for me. And there's no play on Mondays. So the last day is October 14th. I'm going to be hanging on until the very end. And until then, I just want to give a quick little why the Unilions are so awesome beyond the fact that we get these cool things from Clive if they win. Uh, First of all, one of the Unilions brothers just got back from the United States. So this is Cheng Sheng and one of the outfield trio. They're known as the baseball boyfriends because they are all so gorgeous in that outfield. He just got back from the United States because he was on the Cleveland team, it was. which is just amazing. He, he had not played a lot with them. He had been a little up a little bit last year, up a little bit this year, but he was called up for the playoffs. Didn't do great, but Hey, he was there. So now he's coming back to hang out with his brother in Taiwan. The other reasons why the Lions are, you know, I'm definitely biased here, why, why the Lions are the team to watch. Teddy Stankiewicz, for <laughs> me, not only, I don't think I have mentioned that he actually came up through the Red Sox. He played for the Pawtucket Sox for a couple of years. He also played for the team of my choice in the Dominican Republic, the Leones del Escogido. Are you stalking him or is he stalking you? I am not entirely sure, but I, I am 100% in for Teddy Stank, pitcher for the Unilions. And last but not least, Lynn Anko, my boyfriend forever from the Unilions, who I picked at the very, very beginning before I really understood anything about his baseball capabilities. And when I thought he was going in as a two play, two-way player, and he even said that his intention at the st- start of the season was to play two ways. He wanted to pitch and he thought, maybe I'll get like 10 home runs. Well, we've been talking about this for a while, that Lin Enko is the home run leader. He is the youngest person to hit 30 home runs in the CPBL, but he didn't stop at 30. He's at 32. He's the first lefty to hit 32. He's the first rookie to hit 32. And the record of home runs in CPBL is 33. Three and so he has seven more tries. So the the coolest fucking thing about this is I already have his signed ball thanks to our friend Clive. So I might be holding a baseball signed by the all time 
home run record leader of the CPBL. And that is pretty fucking cool. I'm excited about that. That is very impressive. Look at your foresight. Look at you knew like you knew he was going to be special ahead of time. And you were right. I, I'm I'm feeling good about this. The other like just shit guess that I made was in the KP uh, the KBO the Korean League for the the Dinos who are continue to increase their league and this league also has about a week and a half left and the Dinos are in first place now by eight by eight. So luckily Addison fucking Russell apparently didn't bump the heroes as much as I was afraid he was going to. They're eight back. The Wyverns are 37 back in the Eagle, that which is what you had picked at the beginning. And wait, there's like eight games left. They can really yeah, come back that will get them to a step up in the basement. Sure. But but they're not the complete basement because the Eagles are 39 and a half back. And this past last week we talked about how uh, our teams were going to face off against each other on Tuesday, which they did. And the Dinos won, which, you know, you could have expected with those stats, but it wasn't a, a, a blowout at all. And it wasn't even a, a decisive win to, from the get-go. Nobody scored until the bottom of the seventh inning. And the Dinos ended up beating the Wyverns just three to nothing. So I think that's going down, you know, fighting. Absolutely. But by the way, there are still no fans in Korea because the, the COVID numbers just aren't there. Wow. And their numbers not being there are so different than our numbers not being there. Hello for being careful. I have two important jobs this coming week. One is to shop and shop and shop at the Negro League Baseball Museum art show and fundraiser. While I still can, you should too. The other important job that I have this week is to watch as much baseball as humanly possible. I'm with you on both of those. I will tag along with both of those goals and I will probably somewhat fail, but I, I will give it my my all. I, I can handle the shopping part for sure. The baseball is going to be rough with the scheduling, but I'll give it a shot. I believe in you. I believe in you. And dear listeners, we hope that you're watching as much baseball as you can. And in your downtime, after you've done all your shopping at the Negro League Baseball Museum fundraiser, please feel free to listen to some past episodes of No Crying in Baseball. Tell your friends about us if you think they'd like to listen to us talk about baseball. Leave us a review or a rating if you get a chance and find us online. Talk to us on Twitter at NCIB Podcast, Facebook and Instagram at No Crying in B-Ball. Until next time, say goodnight, Potty Mouth. Good night, Potty Mouth. Hi, and welcome to episode 155 of No Crying in Baseball. My friend's Patty. Jesus, my friend's Patty. I'm going to start over again. <laughs> That's totally okay. <laughs>